The Start On Demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Friday edition of the podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Today we're going to be joined by one of our friends from down the hall at Power 97, Philly. From Power Mornings with Philly Joe and Kirby was at the Metallica show on Thursday night, so he'll tell us what he thought of that. We're going to have coffee and talk about TV shows that you were forced to watch when you were a kid because your parents or grandparents were watching them. Maybe, maybe you ended up liking them. Maybe you ended up loving them. And why are we talking about that? Because maybe one of those shows you watched as a kid was Carol Burnett. We're talking to Carol Burnett today. She's going to be in town on September 27th, and Greg and I had the pleasure, privilege, and honor of speaking with her. We're also going to speak with community activist Cell Burroughs after the soil in the sports field outside Weston School. They found some unsettling things in there, and they've had to close the field. Uranus, it's a planet that creates lots of jokes because of its name. And now there's a small town in Missouri with a new newspaper called the Uranus Examiner. So we'll dip our fingers a little bit deeper into that story. And finally, food blogging. If you take pictures of your food, maybe you could be an actual food blogger. We're going to meet the founder of Food Bloggers of Canada and... A food photographer who's gone around the world. He's got all sorts of great stories, and they brought us food. Enjoy the podcast. Turn it up, Jeff. Metallica. <laughs> Jeff Braun's in the news booth doing the air drums. Mackling's doing the air drums. McNabb's just kind of looking at her phone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm a Metallica fan. I was definitely a fan back in the day. I would have gone to this concert if I had, could have gotten tickets. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, did you try to get tickets? No. So, <laughs> if someone had given me tickets, <laughs> Well, they are one of the biggest bands in the universe. They were here last night. They blew away thousands of Winnipeggers in a sold-out Bell MTS place. And one of them was Philly from down the hall at Power 97, co-host of Power Mornings with Philly Joe and Kirby. We chatted with him. At 4.45 this morning. Well, I'm tired today. I got, you know, barely any voice left, so that tells you how good it was. It was awesome. I mean, for me, just a band like Metallica, just when you hit Portage in Maine, you can feel the energy. Because the fans are just... I put them in the same category. There's a whole bunch of bands like this. You got your Pearl Gems, your Metallicas. You know, Paul McCartney's coming here uh, in the not-too-distant future. These, The fans of these bands are just... They're insane, right? So uh, there's an energy about the building. People are, in, people are in their seats 10 minutes before the show starts. They're ready to go. Like that noise, the energy builds and... They just have such a stage presence. I, I, I'm a kid in a candy store at a Metallica show. I just sit there in awe of this band. It's such legends, and uh, yeah, I, unreal. I, I would, I would, if they are here, if there's two shows, I'd be there again tonight. They're just incredible. 
are they one of those bands, Phil, you're either in on them or you're out? There's no halfway in between for the most part as it, as it pertains to Metallica fans? I think so, yeah. There's no like, ah, kind of like Metallica. There's that, we all, there's the running joke, right? The one kind of Metallica fan. Metallica! And, and you know, that's it. I'll t- I will say I saw a lot of kids there last night, 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, which kind of surprised me, but you know what? Um, if they enjoy the band and the parents, it's, exper- it's an experience that they'll never forget, that's for sure. Now, Jim Brewer yeah. opened the show. Yeah. And isn't he a comedian? He is. Uh, not the first time I've seen this. I remember uh, back in the day, Bill Hicks used to open for various, the late Bill Hicks used to open for various bands. But uh, yeah, he just, from what I saw, you know, after I stood in line for a couple of beverages, from what I saw of what Jim Brewer was doing, and he does impressions of different bands, he's just on stage almost like karaoke, firing up firing up the crowd, singing some awesome, doing some ACDC, some Judas Priest. It doesn't take much to fire up a Metallica crowd. Um, but yeah, he just he's just firing up the crowd, and it's, he's, he's an f- extremely funny guy. So Was that just coincidence? Because I knew he had played the Burt uh, on Wednesday night, so did he just happen to be in town, or is this a piggyback situation? No, he, he opens for Metallica, and like I'm not—I don't know if every single show, but it's—he does open for Metallica, and then the show that he added, from what I know, was because he was in town okay. opening for Metallica. All right, then. Yeah, well, that's kind of neat because yeah, yeah, cool yeah, yeah, check out his stuff online. Oh, yeah. He has some of the coolest takes on heavy metal, yeah. and his impressions are really cool it's and a perfect fit. Right? Yeah, yeah, that is really neat. How many times have you seen Metallica now? This is only the second time. So, and that's funny that you asked that, Brett, because I was sitting there last night uh, with the people that I went, and I'm like, this is awesome, but can you... The last time I saw them was probably, I'm trying to, I want to say 2009-ish in that area. And I, and I, my comment was, can you imagine seeing these guys 15, 20 years ago? Not that they're, they're, they're great now and they were great last night, but back in those really rocking early days when they all had long hair, um, you know, it would have been something else to see them back then as well. So, yeah, I, I always find myself with these legendary bands thinking, oh, it'd be great to have grown up when they were really just starting out and seeing them back then, but... Yeah, a couple times now, only twice. I wish I could say I've seen them more. And one of their biggest albums has a little bit of a Winnipeg connection with Bob Rock. Yeah, and, you know, very and true. Uh, recorded in Vancouver, so they've got a special relationship with with Canada. I think it's funny they do, and they they're not one of those bands that forgets where they are on stage. You know, like oh, where are we? You know, they Winnipeg, and and I mean it's kind of cliche, but. I don't know. I'll tell you what. If it's fake that they, you know, then they do a good job of fooling us because they just seem, you know, James and the crew there, they just really seem to love coming to Winnipeg. I, you know, the, and I mean, how can you not? Everybody loves Metallica, like the fans all over North America, all over the world. But I, I don't know what you guys think. The Winnipeg crowd, the way they appreciate, like they were, there was nobody sitting in, in that crowd last night and just loud from like 15 minutes before they went on there was it's intense that's yeah. kind of cool to to see that I, I you mentioned uh, the kids in the crowd and it took me a while to come around to it but you have took me back to Wrigley Field just about a month ago when I took my kids to see Foo Fighters yeah and so that whole idea of sharing your music with your kids there's something special about that oh for sure like how old are your kids Greg? 12 they just turned 12 so that's I, I mean mine are seven and five, so they're not... Not quite uh, there yet. Not quite. You know, uh, we're breaking them into hockey games, and they love jet games and moose game and bomber games, but it wouldn't dawn on me yet to take them to a concert, but that has to be 
incredible to share that experience with your kids and then see them start to get into that kind of music and now want to go to the shows. Yeah, I catch them listening on their oh, own. Yeah. Oh, yeah, every once in a while. So it's working. Yeah, well, yeah. It starts to get more expensive, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, two versus four tickets. Yeah, yeah. it changes. It's a game changer without question. But it's, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, that gift of music, right? The soundtrack oh. of our lives, all that sort of thing. It's uh, it's special, and there's nothing like seeing it live. Oh, man, it's, yes, especially with, I, I keep saying it, but there's something about the stage presence of some of these legendary bands, like when they're, and they've got that stage in the round, Metallica. Yeah, it, it's intense. It was awesome. All right, Phil, get out of here. Yeah, thanks. That's Philly from Power 97, co-host of Power Mornings with Philly, Joe, and Kirby. He went to Metallica last night. And one of the things we forgot to ask him, Greg, is one of the things that they, that Kirk and Rob from the band, they, on their tour, what they've been doing is in every market, they play a rendition of a song that is of a local artist. For right. example, when they were in Minneapolis, they did When Doves Cry by Prince. So I'm curious to know, did they do that here? So if you were at the show last night, you listening to this radio station, if you were there, what Winnipeg song did they do? Let us know. 204-780-6868. That's a much nicer tradition, or what, whatever you would call it. You know how sometimes bands come and they'll put on like the hockey jersey for the right. team? And that's just, and everyone goes nuts like, oh, he loves the Jets. And it's like, yeah, someone probably just handed him that jersey he put it on. You know, and I appreciate it. Like, I like the idea of... Uh, connecting with the crowd, but finding the song or the music or whatever, that's what you're there for. That's what you can do. And then they put their own spin on it. Well, they actually did posters, different artwork for each city. Uh, Jeff Braun was showing me the two different posters that they did for Winnipeg. And I don't know if you'd get Metallica and Jets jerseys. They're big San Jose Sharks fans. In fact, they've performed the Star Spangled Banner at Sharks uh, games before. And the Sharks, of course, made a really big trade yesterday, uh, getting Eric Carlson from Ottawa. So uh, getting them in Jets jerseys might have been tough. Well, that's fine with me. They're loyal to that, right? Rather than just going from town to town, Flames, Jets, Leafs jerseys. Yeah. Forte, do, does this person on the phone, were they at the show last night? Let's put them on. I think I think we have someone who's calling us who uh, was at the show last night and can tell us what that Winnipeg... Okay, Mike, you join us live on 680 CJOB. How are you, Mike? Good morning. Good morning. Yes, I was at the show last night. It was just an amazing, incredible show. Yeah, and the guy there sings the song uh, Taking Care of Business, the oh. local song here. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was guessing, I was surmising that it might be Neil Young, Keep on Rocking in the Free World, or no, no. Greg suggested American Woman, so Greg, you were on the right track. Maybe. And Mike, did better. they do it um, traditional or like their own version, their own rendition? Oh, just traditional, I guess. Okay. Well, hey, thanks for letting us know, Mike. Uh, we appreciate that because we were wondering if maybe it would be something like the the crash test dummies. <laughs> it, it, can you imagine if they did? <laughs> but I guess it would be more like. Brett's <laughs> 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 oh, face is so it's like a it's like a muppet. Yeah, it's like you know an what? Angry muppet. It's right like the now. Uh, the eagle. What's yes. the what's his name? Is it Sam? Sam? Yes, Sam, I think. Yeah. That's what you look like right now. Oh gosh, please stop. <laughs> Oh, I can't even make eye contact with you right now. Somebody fire on the TV cameras are in the studio. <laughs> I'm so glad we had this time together Just to have a laugh or sing a song Seems we just get started And before you know it Comes the 
time we have to say so long. Carol Burnett Show, promo show 21, take one. All of us here in Canoga Falls would like to send special greetings to our sister city of Bellbird, which is as much a part of Australia. Mrs. Huygens. Mrs. Huygens, the reason that I pressed that intercom system to talk to you is because I wanted to see you. I don't mean see you with my nut balls. I mean to see you right in there into that office. When? Well, I'm free now if it wouldn't end. Eunice, have you ever thought of that? I mean, making a game out of cleaning up that pigsty you call a bedroom? <laughs> Nice job putting that together, Mackling. Carol Burnett. Good night, everybody. She was such a giver. Uh, the reason I picked a couple of the clips that I did there, because there were there was one word from Carol Burnett in each of those clips, and she just was such a, a giver as a performer, is a giver as a performer. Part one of our interview with Carol Burnett. She's in Winnipeg September 27th. Here we go. Before we get started with anything else, I actually want to ask you a question on my mom's behalf. Uh-huh. She wants to know, she said, because when I told her I get to interview Carol Burnett, she said, oh my God, she's one of my favorites. Can you ask her how she stayed? so young and pretty well I think maybe your mother ought to see an eye doctor <laughs> okay well then <laughs> no no I, that's that's very sweet that's very sweet uh, well I eat well I sleep well I exercise <clears throat> and um, you know doing these questions and answers it keeps the old gray matter ticking well, it goes a long way, right? Just uh, being able to walk down memory lane and to uh, share some yep. of your thoughts on things. Uh, uh, that's a favorite thing that I love about doing what we do. And uh, hopefully my research is accurate here. Was your first love genuinely journalism? Was that your, the road you were going to well, go down? very first, 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 first love when I was a child. Uh, I wanted to be a cartoonist and have my own comic strip in the newspapers. Oh, that's kind of cool. Which comic strip did you like uh, that inspired you to oh, want to do that? Oh, way back then, you know, in the covered wagon days, my goodness, it was still Blondie. And and uh, the Cats and Jammer Kids, that's an old one. And now I love um, Zit, Z-I-T-S. Have you ever seen that one? I don't think I have. Greg, have you? Oh, no, but I'll it, be looking it up as soon as I get off the phone It's hysterical. It's about a teenage boy and his parents. And it's really good. And it's uh, uh, and I always loved uh, Calvin and Hobbes. So that was my first love. And then I uh, joined the school newspaper in junior high and Hollywood High, and I became editor of both uh, my junior high school paper and Hollywood High News. And so I thought that I would uh, go to UCLA and major in journalism. Uh, well, I found out they did not have a major in journalism. They had a course, and so I thought, well, I'll take that course, and then I'll join the Daily Bruin, which was a newspaper uh, for UCLA. And so I looked in the catalog, and I saw a Theater Arts English listed, which meant I could take the playwriting courses. So I, I applied for that to be a major, but then I found out 
that every uh, freshman had to take a course in acting, scenery building, lighting, costumes, all of that. That you know, whether you wanted to be, you know, a majoring in film or English, theater arts, English, or whatever, you a freshman had to take those courses. So there I was thrown into an acting class, <laughs> and I was pretty raw, you know, nervous about that. And so, you know, a lot of the kids in the class, it was a small class, were doing very heavy dramatic scenes, you know, and I thought, oh, well, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to go there. So I picked something light to do, and it was kind of a monologue out of a play, and uh, I got laughs where I should have, you know. And all of a sudden, my whole world turned upside down, and I thought, this is what I really want to go for. I loved hearing the laughs. And so if if there had been a journalism major, I wouldn't be talking to you like this today. So do you think that you may have ended up anchoring a news desk somewhere, had it not been for that? Well, I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking more about uh, writing, you know, writing uh, pieces or interviewing people or whatever, you know, that I didn't quite know exactly, but <clears throat> everything just changed, you know, when I got that acting class. And then... Uh, one of the students came up and said, can you carry a tune? And I said, yeah, because I used to sing with my mother and grandmother in the kitchen. Mama would play the ukulele, and we'd do three-part harmony. And he said, well, would you be in a scene that we're doing from South Pacific, you know, as in one of the chorus, you know, as one of the nurses? And I said, sure. And so I did that, and then he came up to me, and he said, well, you know, you're pretty loud. <laughs> <laughs> he said, uh, I'm going to take you out of the chorus, but uh, we're going to do a scene from Guys and Dolls, and we'd like you to play the role of Miss Adelaide. And I said, what is that? You know, and she has the solo uh, called Adelaide's Lament, and she is lamenting about the fact that she has a cold. And I said, oh, well, I don't know about singing alone, but... As long as she has a cold, if I, you know, if I hit a wrong note, I can blame it on the fact that she has a cold. Mm -hmm. So I sang the song, and then all of a sudden musical comedy became the thing I wanted to do. Well, you know, it's easy to say, uh, without doubt, you revolutionized television. Uh, I can remember listening and watching your show religiously with my grandparents, and I know you were very close to your grandmother. You mentioned your mom and your grandma. Uh-huh. Do you think that's an underappreciated relationship in terms of interpersonal relationships, kids and their grandparents? No, I think, you know, I, I get a lot of mail, you know, and, I, and you read it a lot about kids and, you know, how they are with their grandparents. And uh, some of the, a, mo- a lot of the mail I get is saying, we used to watch your show with my grandparents. Mm-hmm. So there's a very special bond there. I remember hearing a joke about it. They said, you know, the reason grandparents and grandkids get along so well is they have a common enemy. Well, we've been talking a lot this morning about who knew what and when about soil contamination in several Winnipeg neighborhoods. Tests in places like Point Douglas, Weston, Wolseley were done way back in 2007. And in some cases, they showed lead levels above accepted guidelines. The problem is officials never 
under the NDP government, the then NDP government. They never released those results to anybody until this week. And so the Conservatives are blaming the NDP. Uh, and caught in the middle, of course, are the residents. We've got a school on Logan Avenue that's ha- not having outdoor recess because it's worried about that field there. And residents, of course, in Point Douglas are very concerned, which is why Sel Burroughs, community activist, is here with us now. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm very concerned. What, what's top of mind for you? I mean, you, you have your own garden. You have residents in the area who play in that in the dirt and all the rest. What are they saying to you? What well, they... you know, the people are upset. Um, the fact that this was known and not, not told. I moved back to Point Douglas in 2006. Um, and the fact that I've been chair of the residence committee off and on over those periods of time and nobody told me uh, really ticks me off. Uh, use stronger language uh, in, in private. There's no excuse for this kind of behavior. The The public depend on government being honest with their citizens. And everybody knows I'm a strong New Democrat personally. Um, and one of the reasons the NDP lost in the last election was events like this. Issues that... Transparency. I'll, transparency. Issues like the huge absenteeism rate in high schools in the inner city. Other issues that the NDP didn't deal with. Um, they They over time became so bureaucratic and lost the sense that they had a responsibility to the to the public. And uh, now the chickens are coming home to roost. And um, Wap Canoe, who's the leader of the NDP, just to clear up a few things, wasn't the leader back then. No, that's correct. Uh, he has said they're trying to get to the bottom of this. Yep. It's not clear if somebody in the department just decided not to pass it along or if politicians decided not to release it. But the government did say yesterday that that a news release actually they found a draft news release that had actually been printed printed but never put out to the public. So they got close to telling everybody, but didn't do it. Yeah, no, and, and I, I'm pretty sure you'll find that it was politicians that made the final decision, and and that upsets us even more. One of the things that the minister of health said that concerns me as well was that it seemed that there was a debate between two departments as to who was responsible for this. Well, both of them should be responsible for it. They should have issued a joint press release. This is ridiculous when you get uh, situations where public health is of concern and uh, departments are arguing over who it is. I mean, Jordan's principle around helping kids, should o- that type of thing should overcome any interdepartmental uh, jousting. Do you think this becomes uh, power in terms of protecting my own job, protecting my own interests, protecting departments, you know, the the party, and I don't want to hammer, but I'm going to here, you know, the party that, that does more to try and protect citizens from themselves, uh, not giving citizens the information they need in order to make decisions to keep themselves safe, I think is 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 not is not good. It's totally unforgivable. And, you know, they need to be hammered on this. I hope that it doesn't become just a partisan political issue. Um, those of us, you know, who support the NDP know they made many mistakes and will criticize them for that. Uh, it shouldn't be a situation where the conservatives who are making their own mistakes utilize it strictly to hammer the NDP. They should be hammering the fact that it wasn't released but not just for political advantage. So is this symptomatic of, of how government works at its core? Take the politics out of it in terms of the bureaucracy behind the scenes, Cell. Well, look, you know, I'll, I'll give you a whole bunch of issues. I mean, the fact that Winnipeg has the is the crime capital 
of Canada. The fact that Winnipeg is accused of being one of the most racist cities. Nobody's talking about those issues. And, uh, you know, again, the NDP set it up. I mean, uh, Andrew Swan was probably the worst, uh, most right-wing uh, justice minister in history. Um, you know, I met with the conservative justice minister, and they're talking about some of the things that need to be done in terms of preventing crime. Um but nobody's really taking it seriously. Simil- you know, similarly to the the lead uh, poisoning of the of the soil, uh, these are things that governments can't can't avoid. Part of the problem is these are issues that affect the inner city. They affect the people who are the most powerless, and uh, they can get away with it. So are, are you concerned about, I mean, I understand the concern about the politics yeah. for sure, but how, are you also concerned about the soil, the actual lead in the soil? Because That's what the, I want to get to. Well, the, the health minister's saying um, they're above the accepted levels based on the 2007 yeah. results. Yeah. We're going to retest. Mm-hmm. But, you know, odds are it's not worse today than it was 10 years ago. I mean, do you feel better hearing that? No, because if you look at the numbers from the testing, and I didn't, I'm no scientist, it looks like they've actually gone up. Over time, over the ten-year period that was compared in the, uh, I think it was the uh, your opposition CBC article. Um, what we need as citizens in the area is we need know, to know what to do, and we need to know you know how much remediation is needed. I was involved. My wife was on the board of a group called Sistars that built the Eagle Wing Daycare Center and fixed up Barber House, and I acted as an advisor. We that group hired top-rate environmental specialists they had to cap the area with clay and then soil but that we were told at the time that contamination was due to trucked in soil that particular location which was donated by the city to the community of point douglas so i have some experience in what you have to do and it's not cheap uh fixing up uh soil that needs to be remediated and particularly parks and school grounds Josukin Park, which is right across Sutherland from what is now Merritt Ironworks, which was Vulcan Ironworks, uh, the biggest employer in one of the biggest employers in Winnipeg in 1919, uh, where the Winnipeg General Strike started. Um, you know, Josukin Park is this beautiful park right across from there. Is it polluted as well? We need answers to that. And our children, who are the most susceptible to lead poisoning, are the ones that need to be protected. Community activist Sel Burroughs, thank you very much for joining us this morning to talk about this. We appreciate the time. No problem. We confess to having a twisted sense of humor around here, and you have to laugh to keep your sanity, quite frankly, (laughs) when dealing with some of the stories we deal with day after day. Well, this next story has lots of people laughing. Not everyone. We uh, go to the Show Me State, Missouri, and tell the station KY3, according to their tagline, the place to be. A new newspaper is launching in Pulaski County. It comes on the heels of the area's longtime paper, the Waynesville Daily Guide, being shut down last week. Andrew Havranek is live for us tonight with more on why there's some controversy surrounding the new paper before it even gets printed. Andrew? Lee, I'm live tonight in Uranus, which is actually a tourist attraction here off of I-44, known best for their fudge factory and other attractions here. Well, it's not a city, it's a destination, but the man that they call the mayor, Louis Keene, is backing a new newspaper. But it's the name that Keene chose for that newspaper and his background that has city leaders across the county here in Pulaski County worried about their reputation. The Uranus Examiner. 
Um, we had thought about uh, Constitution, but most of our, our, our people who love us and, and were a part of coming up with the name liked the examiner better. Now, as we, as we said, not everyone is laughing. After Sanders' announcement this afternoon, Waynesville Mayor Luge Hardman stood up and asked for the microphone. No. I am sorry, but the innuendo of that title puts my city up for public ridicule, and I will not be a part of it. Innuendo of uh, <coughs> Uranus... Uh, yeah, investigator, inspector, whatever the word is, I can't even remember now. I don't know. Examiner. <laughs> According to some of the articles I've read, the tourism web website for the, that town states, quote, there's a lot to do in and around Uranus. <laughs> and the website has warnings about the release of natural gas. So they're mocking themselves in their own name, which is a planet name. I get it. Mm-hmm. The Should the mayor have a say on the name of the newspaper? No. I, yeah, I don't think so. Why Not do, if they're going to have their own website doing stuff like that. Well, I just love that the television television station's name is KY. <laughs> 922 on 680 CJOB. Greg, what's coming up in sports with I Kelly Moore? Know. Despite a stacked lineup, the Winnipeg Jets do have some battles to be won in training camp and the preseason. And Johnny Manziel is trying to create his own QB controversy in Montreal. <laughs> What are you guys laughing about? Greg, who's coming to Winnipeg September 27th? Carol Burnett. You might have heard of her once upon a time. Can you believe she's 85? No. She looks fantastic. She's got a new program on Netflix. Uh, Russell Russell Brand, I almost said. Russell Peters, the Canadian comedian, also involved in this. It involves uh, kids asking her questions. And uh, it was just an absolute thrill of a lifetime to get to speak with her. And to uh, now bring you that conversation is is also a thrill. Here's part two. One of the th- headlines that I saw was that uh, it pertained to network television, because I know you've got a show on Netflix uh, that uh-huh. debuted in recent months. The headline said, you just want network executives to leave you alone. Why is that? Yep. Well, uh, when I did my show, <clears throat> Mr. Paley, who was the head of CBS, William Paley, he just said... Here's here's the time slot. Here's your show. You go do it. I'm a businessman. You guys are the artists. And uh, so, and so then I did a pilot recently, uh, and I can't tell you all of the, how many people kept giving us notes of what to do and how to be funny. And uh, oh well, that you can't wear that color on television or this or that. It was just overkill. And I thought, you know. I don't want to do this. <laughs> so I, I backed out of uh, even trying to, you know, sell the pilot. I said, I, I'm out of here. And because I, we had it so great. And in today's climate, no network would ever let me hire Vicki Lawrence because right. she was straight out of high school, yeah. had no experience, but we saw something there. And the network said, hey, you're, you guys, you're the artist, so go do your thing. And that doesn't happen in today's climate. Well, I'm starting to wonder. I, I saw the ad for the new Magnum PI television show coming, to, coming. I think, at CBS. And, of course, uh-huh. you did a few episodes. I think it was two or three on Magnum PI. You were amazing in that. And uh, uh, do you think maybe Hollywood, the traditional networks, are running out of ideas? I, I think 
well, they've got ideas, but I don't think they're so hot. <laughs> you know, it's a, uh, they're trying to appeal to, I don't know, the, uh, the lower base, you know, uh, uh, like sitcoms and things like that. There are very few that have the class that All in the Family and Mary Tyler Moore, Dick Van Dyke, and Bob Newhart had. Uh, they they kind of stoop to being uh, not only edgy, but I don't find, and I'm not a prude by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't find it very funny, uh, you know, for the scatological humor. You know, talking about your body parts and things like that. That's not classy, and it's not clever. It's just an easy laugh. And I wish, you know, that most of the uh, television today would raise the bar the way it was back then. I know I sound like an old fogey, but uh, again... Go watch Mary Tyler Moore. Go watch Dick Van Dyke. Go, watch. And they hold up today, and they're just as funny as can be as they were back then. And uh, they didn't stoop to, to any kind of a, a low standard. So what was it like working with Netflix then? Well, great. They left us alone. <laughs> uh, they said, here you go. And also, you know, that... Uh, they had a few suggestions about the set, you know, how, how should you sit closer to the kids or stuff like that. But uh, they left us alone, and, you know, it was an improvisational show. There was no script because, uh, it, you know, the kids were just saying what they felt. So it was uh, it was easy, you know, and, uh, I, and I loved the kids. They cracked me up. And so, um, yeah, we had fun doing that. And we picked an age range uh, from five to nine because at those ages they they haven't yet started to censor themselves, you know, and think, oh, should I say this or I shouldn't say that? They just blurt out what they think, and that's that's the gold of the show. Well, and now you have a whole IT department of, uh, that, of kids that know how to yeah. teach you how to use all your electronic devices. I, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I know yeah. I know. we've run out of time essentially here, but I have to ask you, do you still answer to Mrs. Hawiggins? Oh, uh, yes, of course I do. And to Eunice and to Scarlett O'Hara and any of them. Well, thank you so much for the memories and, and thanks for, for everything. I know people cannot wait to, to see you here at the concert hall September 27th. Oh, thank you. Well, tell them to come armed with questions. And, you know, it's all random. I don't have any uh, prepared plants in the audience or anything. So it's it's really kind of a freewheeling night, and it's a conversation between me and the audience. All right, Carol Burnett, thank you very much for the time. We very much appreciate this. What a privilege and honor to get to speak to you. Well, thank you so much, and have a good one today. Carol Burnett going to be at the Centennial Concert Hall September 27th, an evening of laughter and reflection where the audience asks questions. Here, here's a question. Did he, yeah. Was she just willing? Like, Would she have talked for hours with yes. you? Did, yeah, yes. like that was so great. Yeah, I had to miss was... out on that one due to other scheduling stuff, but I think that it's so wonderful when someone's willing to, you know, you know, sometimes with these celebrities, it's, you have four and a half minutes, you can't ask this, you can't do that. And well, I think we had 10 minutes. Yeah, I think we ended up going about 12 and a half, which yeah. is, you know, doesn't sound like a ton more, but it's 20% more. And we kind of let her go because we didn't want to put her in the awkward, awkward position of having to let us go. But uh, she phoned up quite casually, didn't she, Brett? Like there was no, there was no air of arrogance in any way about her. I figured it would be some publicist or somebody calling saying, hello, this is Carol Burnett's camp. Uh, we're looking for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry and Loren McNabb. And uh, no, it was, I picked up the phone. Hello, this is 680 CJOB, Brett speaking. Uh, hi, this is Carol Burnett. Is that, did you say, is that Greg? 
Uh, no, it's Brett. Uh, Greg's just running the other room. Can you hang on? That's oh, sure, amazing. sure. Good for her. I mean, I, I, a couple years ago, Bob Barker phoned the newsroom, and it was the same thing. And he's like, hey, it's Bob. And I'm like, Babu. He's like, Bob Barker. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Irving? Yeah. No, not. It's another legend. <laughs> another legend. Yeah. Come on down. Loren, you invited some guests, and they brought us stuff. They brought us some treats. And, I feel like um, I win today already. The yeah. best guests of the day, because they came in with, what's all, what's all on the board? We've got. Uh, cheeses, we've got bread, honey. Yeah, I mean, we've got cheese, bread, honey, some some tomatoes, so you can pretend that it's a little healthy uh, in the morning. <laughs> but if you can start your day with a cheese board or a charcuterie board on a Friday, you're off to a win. I love that word, charcuterie. I know it just makes you sound fancy. It makes right? me sound fancy. It yeah. feels like, and it makes the food feel like it's not bad for you when it's on when it's presented like that. The reason why you brought in food is and who are uh, we talking to? We're taking a tour across Canada. So who you just heard from is uh, Dennis Prescott. Yeah, I just followed him on Instagram, hey, and I just instantly. You. Took you to four hundred and fifty-two thousand and one followers <laughs> on You're Instagram. Welcome, I appreciate every single one. <laughs> so and I appreciate you. you. Wow, Absolutely. amazing, amazing following so, on Instagram. Dennis is a food photographer, and with him is Ethan Adland. Adeland. Adeland. I knew it. I would do it every day. Food bloggers of Canada. Take, oh, I just get the names wrong every day, no matter how many. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, food bloggers of Canada uh, hitting the road for a sold-out conference. Tell me a little bit about that first. To tell us about that. What What is the Food Bloggers of Canada and what's this tour all about? Yeah, so Food Bloggers of Canada is uh, an organization made up of 2,400 food bloggers across Canada. And since 2013, we've been doing a conference every year and for our sixth year we decided to do a road trip across Canada and so we're Vancouver to Halifax September 5th to the 28th 23 days 10 events uh, focused on food photography with Dennis and we're also bringing in speakers from whichever cities we're in we're flying people across Canada you know to give people a flavor of some really talented speakers talking about uh, social media writing uh SEO, whatever. And uh, along the way, we're also just visiting some really um, interesting farmers and growers that are just producing our food. We just came from uh, Saskatchewan. We visited a dairy farm in Balgoni. Uh, we visited an apple farm, an egg farm. Uh, we're just here sharing uh, all sorts of cool things that uh, Canadian people are doing. Admit it. Every single person listening right now has made fun of somebody taking a picture of their food. Yep. Yes. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But why is it such a phenomenon? Why why are we so entranced by this this Dennis? It's, yeah. It really is. There's no other word for it. It is a phenomenon. It's a game changer. Yeah, I mean, it's this funny thing where uh, food food photography is not even really about the food. It's about the story behind the food, and people want to know. So. The iron, the great irony is typically the person who kind of you know puts their nose up at somebody taking food photos. What's the first thing they do when they go on vacation? They take a photo of the food where they are, right? Even people who kind of slag it do that, but it's because they want to show someone, hey, check this out, check out the, this time that I'm having with the, my loved ones, and I wish you were here, or I want to share with you what we're doing right now because check out how cool this is. I've never eaten something like this, right? So food photography is really just about sharing, and things like Instagram have opened these communities up where people are no longer islands in their own friend group, right? Like it can feel like you're the only one of your friends that is into this, but the same can be true of somebody who's into gaming or somebody's into to Comic-Con or somebody's into sports, you know, a specialized sport or something like that. But the reality is the internet has just allowed all of these kind of communities to, to, to connect. Uh, and then you realize, oh wait, actually 
I'm not an island. One in three photos on Instagram, and there's millions of photos posted on Instagram every day, is a food photo. One in three. One in three. Wow. So it's so it's no longer a niche community. It's actually this massive community uh, because it's gone global. You it, talked about the story. Sorry about story behind the food. What do yeah. you mean by that? I mean where it's grown or what it means to that person. I or? mean that's part of it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, from a food photographer's perspective, I, I you know I started cooking in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, way before I was was uh, shooting food. Uh, in different places, and I loved finding out where the food came from, what the story behind it, what the story of, is of the farmer. But then, from a food photography standpoint, if you're having a date night with your partner, or if you're it's, if it's football night on Sunday and you're eating chicken wings, that's a very different story, right? So you can style it, you can photograph it, you can play it at everything very different to kind of really inspire people and get them excited about cooking that way, and then about recreating those moments for their friends and their family. So where are you guys from, Dennis? Where are you from? I am from. Moncton, New Brunswick. Moncton, right on. Yeah. And Ethan? Uh, originally born in Saskatchewan, grew up uh, Ontario, Quebec, and seven years um, been in Vancouver. Okay, so you guys are in Winnipeg. What uh, can you tell us about your observations of our food scene? Uh, I actually came to Winnipeg about a month ago for a friend's wedding in uh, Morris, and uh, so spent a couple days here. Uh, I was digging the food scene, went to Clementine for brunch. Amazing. That bacon is unbelievable. It's the best bacon I've ever had. Everything was so good. And we happened to have the seat right beside the kitchen. We're just watching the uh, one of the chefs make the, the milk buns and just like banging them out for the sandwiches and stuff. It was so good. Um, there's a couple other places that, of course, not coming to me right now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I left uh, Winnipeg with uh, like a huge appreciation for what's going on food-wise right now. Dennis, this whole idea of the story behind the food, and I don't know if you can have a discussion about journalism, travel, mm. food, without talking about Anthony Bourdain and, sure. and how he really changed the world's view uh, about culture, about traveling yeah. to, in the pursuit of food. But you quickly realized it was way more than that. It was yeah. about the stories that are told and the relationships that are built with someone when you break bread with them. Totally. I, I say often food is community. And, uh, and, and you know, and I, I've really been fortunate over the past kind of four or five years of my life to cook all over the world. Uh, sometimes with people who, you know, they might speak Swahili and I speak English. We don't understand a single word. But once you just start chopping onions together, there's like this invisible barrier, this division that goes away. You're laughing and joking and you're playing, you know, in the kitchen, you know, and you meet the rest of their family. And there's something there. Uh, I also think that you can inspire inspire folks um, by eating a different cuisine that you didn't grow up eating necessarily. You know, the first time I had a pad thai, like a proper pad thai, I thought this is real good. I wonder what it's like in Thailand. And I think that that's what Anthony Bourdain did is he inspired people to move outside of their comfort zone, that their comfort zone might be okay, but maybe there's something that they could try. And then, you know, you go to that restaurant in Winnipeg and you try it and it's real good. And then you think, you know what, maybe Vietnam has amazing food in Vietnam if this is so good here. Maybe I should try to go to Japan. And I think he allowed you to kind of travel with him. Uh, of course, he's a great storyteller as well. So it was really kind of fun to watch his, his journey. And obviously, unfortunately... Um, He's no longer with us, but uh, his new season is starting, I think, in a week or two. So I'm pretty yep. excited to the watch that. The last episodes, uh, unfortunately, Loren. It's crazy, too, when you look at um, the travel and how much I think the whole world is more connected because sure. of what we're able to see, what other cultures are doing and what he brought to the, the conversation about that. But also even as me, is whenever I go to cook something, I go and I'll, I'll Google the recipe and then I'll find three different ones. And then I look at the photos and I look, I want more than one photo. I don't want the finished thing. I want, I want the salt as it's sprinkled on the, mm -hmm. so that it's, I have made fun of the people at, 
a restaurant and taking pictures of the food, but that's what sells the food to me when I go totally. to just make a meal. We live in a very visual world, right? The moment we open Facebook, we see 14 videos. Uh, as we're driving to work, you know, we see videos on, on big screens. We're, we're just constantly inundated with some kind of picture, some kind of image. Uh, and I think because of that, we've become a very uh, inspired by image culture. Uh, and I think these food photos can really help people to visualize, okay, this is what this will actually look like on my table. And I really want to recreate this for my family. you know. And also the step-by-steps, I think, really help people. Because if you've never made that dish before, just reading it through in text, Maybe you're a visual learner like I am. And or they that use might a term, a, and I'm, I don't know what that term yeah, means. Of and, course, and, yeah. and so it has Julianne? to be. Yeah. Julianne, <laughs> sous vide, something like this. You're like, I never heard. What's that word? Yeah. And you're like, oh, I do have that tool. I've never used it. It's totally. just uh, in my drawer. Yeah. You talk about stories. You mentioned that you were in Nashville doing some cooking. How long were you down there, and how'd you get there? Yeah. Well, I lived. I was a musician for ten years. Uh, I lived on the road. I've been to Winnipeg a lot, and I didn't answer the food question earlier because when I my experience in Winnipeg was living on a two dollar a day per diem, just <laughs> trying to stay alive. Uh, so I've really never eaten here. So I'm excited to be here to actually enjoy some of the food. But I moved to Nashville. Uh, it was our last kind of kick at the can in the music world. Lived there for about two years uh, on an entertainer's visa on the dollar menu you and that kind of thing. And I realized I need to start taking care of myself. So I started cooking and uh, that kind of led me to cooking with some other folks down there. Fell in love with the comfort food. You know, Southern food is the food of the gods. As far as I'm concerned, you can eat you know, whole smoked hog. Um, you know, it's just amazing. I won't make you that hungry this morning, so I'll stop talking about Southern food. But, you know, I really fell in love with that and I fell in love with feeding uh, a crew of people. I was feeding, kind of cooking seven, eight, ten times a day for studio mates and bandmates and basically anyone who wanted to eat something other than alphagetti cold out of a can, uh, which was the musician's lifestyle down there. So it was really kind of a great way for me to kind of fail forward and learn how to cook. So Ethan, uh, we just got through La Burger Week here in Winnipeg and in Winnipeg, it's way bigger than it is anywhere else in Canada by a mile, like double, even the founding city, Montreal. So as the food bloggers of Canada, uh, any observations as to or thoughts as to why that is happening here in Winnipeg compared to other cities? You know, I just think in general, people are just... Like Dennis said, you know, people are just digging food in ways that they haven't in the past and they just have so many more tools, you know, with with social media and whatnot. Um, I think a lot of uh, towns like, you know, Winnipeg, even like Saskatoon, where we just came from, um, people are just really embracing local cuisine, you know, more than ever and supporting local restaurants, local growers, that sort of thing. Um, so there's sort of this just general groundswell. And uh, I mean, who doesn't love a good burger? Just wrap your hands around it, so... Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I think for a long time, people thought, you know, and and I did too, I was guilty of this, is I can get a great meal, but I've got to go to Toronto or I've got to go to New York City and I can't get that in my city. Uh, And part of that led to, I think, uh, you know, people in the culinary world from a chef's perspective, not not taking those risks and and thinking, well, I need to I need to stay with same old, same old because that's what is selling. I think that we've because we're embracing food culture, it's allowed chefs to really come to kind of cook what they would love to cook and be a little more free in what they're cooking. And that's where we're getting these, you know, smaller cities. Winnipeg's not a small city, of course, but even my town of Moncton, which is a very small city, has really cool happening restaurants now. And people are going to it because they'd much rather support a local chef who's doing something interesting than potentially a national chain. I mean, we got a, uh, we've got a restaurant in Winnipeg that serves just macaroni and cheese dishes. I mean, that that, that just tells you a lot. Perfect. And thank you for setting up where we're going for lunch today. Are you going to Kevin's today? <laughs> well, I know I am now. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Kevin's Bistro on Bannatine. if you're looking for that. It is delicious. So what's happening tomorrow? 
Uh, tomorrow we're at uh, the kitchen sink and we're doing a one-day conference uh, from nine to five. Uh, Dennis is going to be doing a cooking demo. We're going to be doing pizzas and a couple side salads, which will be done in the morning, which we're going to have for lunch. And then the afternoon, we have uh, some really great speakers, Claire Tanzi, uh, formerly the uh, food editor from Chatelaine. She's going to come and speak. Uh, we also have Ashley Fair, who's a blogger in Manitoba, the Recipe Rebel. You've probably come across her her recipes. She's going to talk about uh, goal setting and sort of just how she went from like um, a teacher and sort of had a two or three year plan. And now she's a full time blogger and can spend time at home. And just quickly there before we wrap, people are making money from this. There's a reason why you're having a conference because people are blogging, taking pictures and whatnot. It, it actually can become a full time job for someone if they get good at it. Absolutely. I mean, it's a varying degree, you know, from hobby all the way to, to full time nowadays. It's a real it's a real it's a real thing. And that's called Kitchen Sink. Uh, the address on that is 370 Donald. Uh, what time does it start? It's 9 to 5, and um, people can check out foodbloggersofcanada.com for the uh, ticket information. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.